I think what's really driving me in my work, um, both with speaking and, and advocacy and, and mentoring and the division is I can't be the only one. Like I always think like if, if I suffered this sort of mental hardship while I was in the hospital or getting a leg for the first time or being fit for this or, or having this happen with a car, like I can't be the only one. What's up, guys? Hannah Donnelly here for another episode of On Her Mark, a podcast where we sit down with female athletes, fitness professionals, and women in sports to learn their stories and their why, all in an effort to find inspiration and celebrate those blazing trails for the next generation. We're kicking off 2024 with an incredible guest, you guys, Adrienne Hazlitt. She's a motivational speaker, runner, survivor of the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing, star in the new IMAX film, The Heart of New England, and soon to be author. I have had the privilege of sitting down with Adrienne a few times before, but this conversation was different. In times past, we focused on individual achievements, relatively quick conversations to share a short chapter of Adrienne's story. Today, we dive deeper. First, we celebrate and talk about her story being featured in the new Museum of Science IMAX film, The Heart of New England. It's a film that showcases the region's resilience, tenacity, and hope. And today she shares why this was the perfect project for her, why it was so important, and what the process of shooting looked like over the last five years. 10 years ago in the Boston Marathon bombing, Adrienne lost part of her leg, but she doesn't want to be called a victim. She is a survivor, and she shares why she chose chooses to dedicate her life to sharing her story and lifting others up, a decision she made with intention and is proud of. And then we dive into her running journey. This was fun, you guys. She told me that before 2013, she didn't sweat in front of people, so running was certainly out of the question. But as a thank you to the Boston community, she wanted to tackle the Boston Marathon. And she caught the bug, <laughs> like so many of us do. And she shares more about that, running the course with icon Shalane Flanagan and her work to establish a para division with the Boston Athletic Association. All of this is possible because she surrounds herself with such an incredible community. She calls them her lockbox. And today we talk about the secret to finding that right group and how you know. And this group not only makes all of this possible for her, but they make it possible for the next generation, which is such an important thing to Adrian. And then we wrap up by talking about the next chapter of her story, a book. And yes, the pun was intended. <laughs> and it's probably not what you think, you guys. This is the first time in this conversation today that she has really opened up and shared why she wrote the book and what she wrote it about. This conversation is powerful and important and only what it is because of Adrian's honesty, vulnerability, and her heart. I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did. Please welcome Adrian Hazlitt to the On Her Mark podcast. Adrian, thank you so much for being here today. I'm glad that we finally get to do this in person. I am so glad we get to do this in person too, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. I am so thrilled that you're here. You have, we were just talking about it before we started recording. You have so much going on. This has been a really 
great and big year for you. It has. Let's talk about some of the highlights of the yeah, past 365 let's days. Let's do it. Absolutely. <laughs> let's start with the highlight reel. I like yeah. It. So what what has what has been different this year for you, and what do you look back on and say, I'm so grateful for for this moment. Oh gosh, there are so many. Um, I think what I'm most grateful for was an opportunity to make an IMAX film with Daniel Ferguson, the director, and his incredible um, crew at Museum of Science. And uh, we wrapped this past year, which has been an over five year long project. Um, I even, when I first got the email about it, it was even longer than that. And it just felt surreal, you know, um, before we started recording, we were talking about COVID and things shutting down. And, yeah. you know, you don't, I didn't know if it would still pick back up. Yep. And you heard a lot about films being canceled and, and budgets tightening up. and. It just felt really good to see all of the hard work from the cast and crew and um, paying off and, and being able to go to that premiere was was a real pinch me moment. I, the whole thing has been a pinch me moment. And so this is a story of, is it seven New Englanders? Yes. Or, and New England is, is she's the character, right? She is the main character, <laughs> as she always should be. Yes. She is the main character and it's these stories of resilience. So mm -hmm. first, what made you say yes to this project? Because I'm sure you've been approached with a number of things before yeah. that didn't feel right, but yeah. this one did. Yeah, you know, I was approached by this and like most incredible opportunities I've been approached with, I immediately thought it was a prank yeah. <laughs> um, by a couple of friends. And by the way, my friends never prank me. They, they would not do that. But I, I thought, oh, for sure, this isn't real, yeah. right? There like has this, to be a first, There right? has to be a first, right. <laughs> and and I, like when I did the Super Bowl ad um, with Sam Adams, I thought, oh, this, that, that's not real. Mm -hmm. um, so that was my first reaction. And then I, uh, I, was really, I was really touched. And I think like a lot of people, um, kids and adults alike, I remembered what it was like to be on a field trip in school um, or on a you know holiday vacation and you'd, your parents would say, oh, we're gonna go see an IMAX movie. Mm -hmm. And you would sit your tiny body in the movie theater and this giant over five foot tall screen would be there. Um, and you just remembered what it was like to dive underwater and sail over mountains and mm -hmm. um, it was so great. And I always loved it because the animals were so big and yeah. I'm a huge <laughs> animal fan. Uh, and so what made me say yes was, was knowing about the field trips. Mm -hmm. I knew that after talking with Daniel, um, that this seeing a body like mine on a big screen for young little minds mm -hmm. and their teachers and their caregivers and their parents um, would have an impact. And I knew that that would spark some conversations that were needed um, to celebrate diversity and inclusion and uh, conversations that they may not be having at home or may not mm -hmm. feel comfortable asking questions about. So yeah. it was really the field trips that made me say yes. I mean, everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people yeah. would love to be in an IMAX movie. So that's sort of a given, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> but what made me say yes to it as opposed to saying no to other projects was I knew I would be held. Um, oh, I'm already gonna cry. I love Daniel so much, the director. Um, and I knew I'd be held carefully mm -hmm. and the story would be told thoughtfully um, because of my interactions with him early on in the beginning. Um, and he's Canadian, so he's nicer than most of us anyway. <laughs> Uh, but he, he just really w is a storyteller through and through. He doesn't yeah. do it for the fanfare or the um, notoriety or the magazine covers or any of that. He does it because he wants to tell the story of New England and her resiliency. So I, I knew that he would do it in a, in a thoughtful way. So what was it like five years of, of shooting this? What was that experience like for you to work with someone like him, to have a crew that is holding you in in 
in a safe space, right, yeah. to share your story with so many people? You know, it was incredible. You, you hear through media and through a lot of people's experiences, and, and I re recognize those experiences as very real, mm -hmm. of maybe film crews and, and sets and such not necessarily being kind to mm -hmm. women, or especially a minority woman like myself, a person with a disability. And, um, and that's something that I've experienced on other sets. Mm -hmm. And so that makes, made me really weary, but I can honestly tell you, and I've never been one to hold back, but I can honestly tell you I was treated so well and with so much respect and that really lent itself to creativity because any of us know when you're held in a safe space, like this conversation, when you're held in a safe space, you're more yourself, you're more comfortable, you're more open, you get to create and, um, and there are so many highlights from this mm -hmm. making this film that it's hard to pick out a few, but I remember my first, well, maybe my second or third time sitting down with Daniel, but the first time that we sat in front of a microphone mm -hmm. at, a, at a sound stage, and he said, just tell me your whole life story, and I'll record it. And I said, like, okay, like how much time you got? Yeah, where do you want me to and start? Where do I, what do I leave <laughs> off, and how much of this is going to be in it? And, and he said, record whatever you want, and we can edit if you, happen to say something that you've changed your mind on later or that you feel like maybe you didn't sound truth, sound authentic in this part. Yeah. Um, and I did. And we sat there for hours um, wow. over coffee and water and, and stories. And he asked more clarifying questions. And that really helped him shape my part of the story. And, and so to have um, an opportunity to not just my story being told, but to be part of writing that and, and, and shaping that with him early on. Um, just really, it was, it was incredible. And some of that audio is what you hear in the film. That's a lot of what you hear in the film is, was me at the beginning. And so when I saw the film, I thought, I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> I <don't laughs> I know, it was all true. Crossed. I walked away thinking that was all true. Yeah. I don't even remember everything that I just started rambling on about how much I yeah. love Boston. <laughs> so I'm curious though, Adrian, cause you, you speak now that mm -hmm. you're a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. You share your story with so many people. This is something that you do every day, but sitting down and having someone say, tell me your life story. Yeah. Had you ever actually sat down and just been like, what, what is my story? Yeah. Like, of course, when you're speaking, you're, you're sharing your authentic mm -hmm. story and yourself and all of those things. Mm -hmm. But when someone really just is like, tell me who you are. Yeah. Had that, had you ever done that before? No. I had reporters that definitely have looked at me and been like, say something that you haven't said in other interviews. Yeah. <laughs> give, like, me, give me the headline. Give me the juice. <laughs> What's your ex like? I'm like, uh, no one needs to know that. Yeah. Um, but but I, I don't think I had. Mm -hmm. And I was cautious with how much I was sharing to respect the people in my life, mm -hmm. um, to respect the stories that have come and gone. Um, and, uh, and, and all of that, but I, I hadn't told the full story. I'm hoping to have a book out, um, and I, I want to be able to tell the no holds back um, version of my life in in that book. But yes, I do speak for a living, and I, it's, it's a joy. I write each talk for each client, so one might be on teamwork, yep. um, talking about how Shalene and I ran and, and really, you know, used each other as teammates, and and talk about that with Google and and mm -hmm. how they can cultivate a great team environment. Mm -hmm. Um, or a different for a hospital in Nepal or a commencement address at Baylor College of Medicine, but it's not my full, it's not all about me, right? It's mm -hmm. not the full story. So this was very unique in that way. Absolutely. And so, I mean, this is, how do you come off of that now and be like, tell me your story. Yeah. However, for people who aren't familiar with your story and your, and your connection here in Boston, um, you are 10 years ago, which 
blows know, my mind. Blows my mind too. It, like, I I want to correct you and say no, that was yesterday. Yeah. Or that was 20 years ago. Right. I don't, but it does feel like 10. 10. It's it's remarkable. And you are a survivor of the Boston Marathon bombing. Mm -hmm. And you lost your leg in that. Yes. And you have taken in stride. You've faced adversity since then. But since that moment, mm -hmm. you have really made it a mission to make people's lives better. Thank Why? You. You know, I knew what it was like to be alone in mm -hmm. suffering. And I want to make it clear that, of course, we had all of Boston and beyond rallying for us. And I had the most amazing surgeon, who I'm still very dear friends with uh, today. And I had therapists, and I had my family, and I had my friends. But there is nothing that can compare to the feeling of isolation when something makes your life halt in place. Mm -hmm. And while I was surrounded by love, um, I still laid awake every night in that hospital room by myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I still had moments where I was learning how to walk on the cobblestones and felt like I was going to slip and fall. Because Boston, I love you, but damn your yes. cobblestones. <laughs> Darn it. Historically they're pretty protected. To, they're pretty to look at, but my gosh, they're hard. And all the marble floors, like, why do we have marble floors? They're so slippery. Mm -hmm. So in that way, you know, I know what it's like to suffer alone. Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to feel like you're the only one, even if... I have a very dear friend, my best friend, my husband, my gay husband, um, was diagnosed with, diagnosed with brain cancer a year ago. Mm. And, um, you know, people can also be diagnosed with brain cancer. They can also be diagnosed with or have a, a lost limb or you can also lose a spouse or you can also have, you know, whatever it is that's happening to you. That doesn't mean that just because your story is similar to other survivors or other people that you don't feel alone. Mm. And um, and I think that that's the most important part is is to make sure people feel a little less alone. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a big believer that while PTSD is certainly real, mm -hmm. um, it is a heck of a lot worse when you have to do it alone. Um, and, and so in my work, whether that's speaking or mentoring people or getting a call, which happens often in Boston at one of our many hospitals mm -hmm. that says someone just came in and lost their leg, can you please come? And I'll come and speak to them and the family. And um, I try and make them feel a little less alone in that suffering. That's incredible. Cause there, there's, there's an opportunity there. There's a choice that you made to do that, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot of people that might just say, I want to put this behind me. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure in moments that's Absolutely. true, right? right? You're just like, what yeah. am I doing? <laughs> I, yeah. I cannot be your therapist. I cannot be. Yeah. So in those moments, yeah. what do you, how do you protect yourself, um, and moving forward and not letting the stories and the kind of the empath mm -hmm. uh, override. Yeah, you know, it. empath will always be receptive and, yeah. and take on someone else's pain. Mm -hmm. I had to learn to observe and not absorb. Mm. So what that means is if someone comes up to me in the grocery store and they say, oh my gosh, Adrian, I know where I was on the sidewalk that day and I saw mm. part of a foot or, you know, I had a survivor and I went out to lunch and she said, I think I saw your foot. It was over by me. And, and she was like, you were wearing gray boots, right? I just thought... You've got to be kidding me. Like, yeah. I can't, in no world is that okay. And yeah. So I had to really work with my therapist and learn how to observe it and say, wow, they're having a really emotional moment right now. Mm -hmm. And that's theirs to deal with. And that doesn't yeah. mean I need to be unkind or, right. or, you know, respond in an empathetic way, but it's not mine to take. It's not mine to carry. And, and I had to learn that. That's hard. Mm -hmm. um, that's hard to do. And, you know, I think that saves me from from really taking that on because of, you know, early on before I learned that skill and it doesn't come all the time, of course. Okay. Um, if I haven't had sleep the night before, that's <laughs> a little harder. Um, but, you know, earlier on, I would, someone would come racing up to me and say, 
I heard what you said about the death penalty, and this is, and I, w I was a, my best friend was a juror, and, you know, I heard that you said, and it's, you know, fake reporting, fake yeah. news, whatever, and I would just get so triggered and mm -hmm. so defensive and so here, my mm -hmm. therapist and I will just do this motion, yeah. here, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's way we know up what here, it means. you're just yeah. vibrating up here, <laughs> and getting so anxious and worked up by it, rightfully so, they're talking about my life, and, um, and I had to learn how to observe and not absorb, and mm -hmm. I've... I don't talk about this very often, but I've had numerous death threats and stalkers and some really scary things as a result of this over the past 10 years, and um, this still happened, and, and that has affected where I live and where I move and what I say and my presence online and, and all of that, and, and that is almost debilitating, um, but you just have to learn how to observe it and say, I'm going to notify the right authorities, and I'm going to try and protect myself in the best way I can and try try to lead a normal life while that's happening and not be scared and um, it's, it's okay to be scared, but not be scared every minute of every day to leave mm -hmm. the house and walk my dog or something. Um, mm -hmm. And that's hard, it's hard. It's hard, I, I never wanna sound like, oh, I figured it out, here's exactly what you do. Yes. I just moved to the suburbs out of Boston, which is crazy, but that's a result of all of that, mm. yeah. When I hear you say all of this, it just makes me think resilience and then it makes me think, Resilience is the theme of the IMAX yes, movie, and what is. an example. And and those are things that I'm sure someone looks at your story, and those aren't the things that they think about, right? They don't think about what the day-to-day -day resilience mm -hmm. is, right? They look at the big picture resilience. Yeah. And I love that you're sharing this because I think that that really puts in perspective, right? The little, the little and the big, and both mm -hmm. are important. They are. They are. And I I don't share it very often because you know early on when I did a ton of interviews after 2013 and. Um, there were a lot of conspiracy theorists out there and people didn't really talk about it very much. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really a thing like it is certainly is today. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I didn't talk about it on camera and that's fine. And I, you know, I don't really regret that, but it, but it was hard to just observe that. I had people running up to me on the street and say, there's no way that you lost your leg, you know, yeah. three months ago, four months ago or whatever. And, and then just run off and that's really hard. So yeah, the day-to-day -day stuff, uh, can can certainly affect you, and and it still does today. Um, and I never want to pretend that I'm all okay or all better because mm -hmm. there is no such thing. And I hope that people are smart enough to remember that that, or smart enough to know that there's no way I could be, you know. You're all human. Better. Yeah. You're human. Yeah. And you deal it with is. what humans deal with. Yeah. And that's the ups and downs. Yes. Exactly. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Something that you have found, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, since 2013 is running. Yes. Were you a runner before? Absolutely not. Okay. No, Hannah, I would never, <laughs> I would never be caught sweating in public. But like, you were a professional dancer. Yes, but you, but that's you glisten. <laughs> you it's glisten. Different. There's like glitter involved in a spray tan that just makes you glisten just, in a different okay. way. Glisten it's versus not like sweating. Huffing, like you'll see in the IMAX film, there's, there's a scene of me going up heartbreak and it's in slow-mo. Oh, that's like, the perfect drink. It's so bad. You just I mean, focus it's not on the it's top. You're but, like, but I mean, it's not the I, it's not the glisten it's and not the spray the tan. That. <laughs> there is there like my my mouth is like hanging open and I'm yeah. It's very different. It's so, very real of what heartbreak is like. And yes. yeah, but I was not a runner. No. And so 
why did you start running? And then what has running brought you that keeps you coming back? Because people start running and they're like, one done, out. I thought that, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I really thought that. I did 2016, I was so proud of it. I came in dead last in the Boston Marathon. Then President Barack Obama tweeted me right after and said, congratulations on finishing the race. Terror and bombs won't stop us. We always carry on. And uh, I was so touched and I thought, one and done. Like I got my yep. statement necklace and my free banana <laughs> and I was done. And then I had applied for a service dog and they said, do you, are you going to keep running? Like, do you need a dog that's a runner? And I said, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. I'm check not, that box. No, We're moving on. Box. I am fine. I don't need a dog that runs. And I got Fred and he's Fred Astaire and he's amazing. And then I got the bug and I, I thought this is what I want to do. But I think, you know, what really made me choose to take up running in the first place is a way to say thank you to Boston. Mm. You know, I, I've heard rumors that it's not okay to just run around and hug random strangers on the street. Um, <laughs> I'm a hugger. Uh, yeah, well, you know. I am. Uh, you can start it. Yeah, right. Just, yeah, definitely won't get in trouble with that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I thought a great way to do that is is to to run the Boston Marathon mm -hmm. and cheer for people just like they were cheering for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was so, and still am so appreciative of how much love and, and outpouring of support has been thrown to us survivors and, and really held us close and and love for us and respect for us. And, and so I wanted to be able to do that. And then, then I got the bug for running, darn it. And you, you've just kept going. I just kept, <laughs> I just kept going. <laughs> and something that, so the Boston Marathon is one of the most iconic marathons in the world, Yeah. period. You could say that and someone, you tell someone you're running Boston, that's it's what it is. Pinnacle, yeah. If you're in Boston mm -hmm. and know the history and just the community that surrounds the Boston Marathon before 2013, and then I think that just kind of created more yeah. like love and unity around it. Um, but one thing that it was missing is there was no para division. Yes, and that's true. That's, and that was until, what was it, 2019? 20, 20, 20, it was implemented to, to play out in 2020, but 20, then 2020 was 2020. <laughs> and so it was, the first year was 2021 when they, when they had it, yeah. And you were, you were a trailblazer in that. You yeah. were really pivotal in that. Can you talk about what it was like to to get the para division mm -hmm. um, to be recognized by the Boston Marathon, but then why it was important for you. Yeah, it, it was, so I had come in dead last in, in 2016 and it was- But you finished. But I finished, but finished. I finished. <laughs> and I was so naive, I didn't notice the 30,000 people that passed me and I finished and I was like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> they came along with the scooter and they said, you need to move to the sidewalk because it's getting dark yeah. and we're reopening the roads. And I thought, okay, and so you can stop. And I thought, no, why would I stop? Yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna finish. keep going, yeah. Naivete, um, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. And, <laughs> and then the competitor in me from ballroom dancing was, was really wanting to come in first, wanting to know what that was like. And I mm -hmm. saw, you know, runners like Meb and Shalane Flanagan and mm -hmm. all of these runners, um, um, Eliud Kipchoge breaking tape at all these big marathons. And I thought, well, that looks pretty fun. So I went to the Boston um, Athletic Association and I said, you know, we, we don't have a division. I looked everywhere. We don't have a division for 5K, 10K, half or marathon. And they said, you know, in a very loving way, because we were friends, they said, Adrian, 10 hours and 44 minutes is not a competitive time. But we love you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And uh, I got a new leg and a running coach, and I trained. Um, and I, I think my fastest mile in, in that marathon was like a 20-something minute mile, which is fine if that's what yeah. it is for you, but yeah. that's not competitive. Yeah. And um, my fastest mile I think I've ever run is a 603. That's not 
sustainable for 26.2, but I knew that um, I knew that I was faster. And I, mm -hmm. I think what's really driving me in my work, um, both with speaking and, and advocacy and, and mentoring and the division is I can't be the only one. Like I always mm -hmm. think like if, if I suffered this sort of mental hardship while I was in the hospital or getting a leg for the first time or being fit for this or, or having this happen with a car, like I can't be the only one. And so when I thought about the division, I thought I can't be the only one. So I was already speaking a lot to these different um, prosthetic and, and amputee conferences and I started asking around and I found there are a lot of people that are very fast, much faster than me even, darn it, and uh, much faster than me and, they, um, and they're runners and they wanna compete. So I went back to the BAA and, and, and long story short, we, you know, we had an early start but it wasn't competitive and 2018 happened and I ran out there and, and had an early start with some very fierce competitors and, and almost everybody DNF'd that year because it was that storm, yep. that was a terrible storm and I thought, oh, it was gonna be great. I was second female, third overall and, um, and then just puttered out from hypothermia and uh, then kept getting more and more um, opportunities and, and then 2020 hit um, and I was training and training and then, or I'm sorry, 2019 hit and I was training and then it was 100 days out, so poetically, um, 100 days out and I was walking to a pasta dinner uh, and I was in the crosswalk right near, sort of near the finish line over on Commonwealth and Hereford mm -hmm. and a car going about 40 miles an hour slammed into the side of my body and um, I went, the carbon fiber of the car's bumper hit the carbon fiber of my left leg and it was on my left side and I was so glad I left Fred at home, my service dog, because he always walks on my left side and there's no way he would have survived that. Oh wow. Um, and I flew like five car lengths because of that carbon fiber bouncing on carbon fiber and I crushed this entire side of my body and I was in the hospital for longer than I was for the terrorist attack because I couldn't put on my leg because I couldn't move my upper body and it was horrific and then I got out of the hospital and the Boston Athletic Association invited me to coffee and I thought I don't even want to talk about running, I can barely walk right now. And and I remember thinking to myself, like, how many times are you going to fall down and try and get back up? Like, I didn't have, I didn't shower when I was in the hospital. Like, I refused to eat. I, I had a lot of people rallying around me, but I didn't accept it. I was just in a really horrific, dark place. And um, so they asked me to coffee, and I said, fine, like, I'll go, even, <clears throat> even though I barely wanted to leave the house. And we sat down, and they said, we think of you every time that we're planning the 2020 Boston Marathon. And I said that's sweet, I can barely walk a block mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. I don't really wanna talk about running if that's okay. And they said, Adrian, you need to start training. Like you have your division. And I just lost it. Oh my gosh. Um, I still remember the coffee shop. I still remember their faces. I still remember them saying, you know, we want you to take it. Mm -hmm. uh, we want you to take the win. And it was just the motivation I needed to train and, and keep going. Um, and I knew, <laughs> I knew that the little kids that I was mentoring who kept saying like, I don't, I don't see us in ads unless it's a pity ad, you know, the look at that person fall down and then get back up, look at that person suffer and then do well. Um, they don't see us for just our strength. You know, there's, they don't see us in rom-coms, they don't see us in, mm -hmm. in, in TV or Oscars and the Oscars goes up there and says how inclusive they are with their giant staircase and their mm -hmm. no wheelchair ramps and they're playing people with disabilities and they don't, there are so many places that we're not seen and um, I knew in that moment when they told me we had the division that that was going to be a big game changer. 
and it has been. Um, it it is deeply affected the people that are in hospitals and, and mentoring. Um, so talk about that a little bit and kind of like the you work so hard for this, then you get to do it, and it's incredible. And it's every time you're talking about this next generation, and you're talking about inspiring yeah. others, and you're doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for others. Yeah. Um, what what have those the kids that you mentor, the people that you ran past? when you're running the 2021 Boston Marathon. Yeah. I ran, I, so I rolled my ankle right before the 2021, but oh. I ran 2022. 2022, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. And that's in the IMAX movie, so you can see okay. my, my huffing and puffing <laughs> running. Uh, yeah. So when you're running though, and you're seeing these people, and, yeah. you're, and you, did you see people with, with prosthetics that you're looking yeah. at saying, this could be you, yeah. like you can do this one day? I remember, so I ran with Shalane Flanagan. Yeah. I, I, I thought, you know, we can have a, a guide, a support runner, mm -hmm. and I thought, who else are you gonna have? I mean, Boston would know. You have like, to. Yeah. Dream big, right? <laughs> so I, I wrote her, I texted her, and, and I'm lucky to call her a friend and mentor and sister in sport, and, and I wrote her and I said, how do you feel about our two blonde ponytails going from Hopkinton to Boston? And she was like, F yeah. Yeah. She was like, yes, this is happening. <laughs> how can you say <laughs> no said, to that? She, well, I, you know, you never know. She's a busy woman. She has she has two kids now, and you know, she's a busy, she's a busy woman. And, mm -hmm accomplishing all of our own goals, but she said yes. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so, yeah, when we lined up at that start line, she said, look, she said, look down, because I told her to remind me mm -hmm. to look down. And I looked down and there were all of these different feet and blades that were standing on that start line in Hopkinton. And that's such a, that start line is such a beautiful place on its own. Um, but to see that, um, the division, and then we took off and I saw yeah, I saw a lot of people with prosthetic arms or prosthetic legs, and they're like holding them out as if they're hailing a cab. Yeah. You know, they're like holding them out like, look, look, me too, me too, which, you know, that isn't always the case when people are proud of their body parts that mm -hmm. people tell them to shun. Politicians yeah. say to keep inside. The ugly law that was an actual law that kept us inside and kept us being, us being people with disabilities and being able to sold, be sold between families and um, for health benefits and health tax laws. And, you know, there's a... a really charred history that a lot of people don't know about. It's certainly not taught in schools about people with disabilities. So yeah, it was incredible to see that and, and to see PTs and OTs and surgeons and all sorts of people that had put this body back together so many times and to see them along yeah. the course was, it was unbelievable. It was an, it, one of the most life-changing experiences. And to know that that's gonna be seen on IMAX was, yeah. I kept telling people, I don't think that was real. I have to see the movie. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> wasn't, real. wasn't real. That wasn't real. I didn't, you know, because you don't see yourself finish. You finish, but yeah. you're like that. You wake up the next morning and you're sore, but but that wasn't real. You kind of black it out, right? Yeah. You're like, that couldn't have really There's no happened. way. You're standing at the start line and I'm looking around and I'm looking at those different feet and I look at Shalane Queen Bee Flanagan, like in matching outfit as me, and I think, well, this is a fun dream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and here you're talking about this community. And I know that when you went to the premiere as yeah. well, it was, you had a group of people that have been kind of like your your day ones, right? Yes. Like those that you yeah. just, your inner circle. Right? I call them my lockbox. Your yeah. lockbox, yeah. I love that. Um, what What is it about, you know, having that, having your lockbox yeah. that was is was and is so essential to persevering and to moving forward and to, to setting these audacious goals and yeah. achieving them? It's a great question. And I probably would have sugarcoated this answer um, if it weren't 10 years going by. Mm -hmm. um, but I had the wrong people around me in 2013. Mm -hmm. um, I was in the world of ballroom and that's beautiful and it's amazing. Um, it was certainly before Me Too when we were talking about respect in the workplace and as someone who puts on a 
sequins, string bikini, and dances in men's arms for a living with other old crusty old dudes with like numbers holding up from one to 10 about how good or bad your body is, you can imagine how healthy that was. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, an, it was a beautiful experience and I wouldn't have traded it. Um, I personally didn't have anything too horrific happen to me, but there were situations that were really not great. Mm -hmm. um, things were said, stuff was, you know, happening. And, um, and then when you injure your body and that's your tool for work, um, my boss at the time, Mark Leitner, um, say their name, right? Mm -hmm. uh, was an absolute terrible person to me and my family and actually fired me for losing my leg. Um, and he said he didn't want to set a precedent that if you couldn't dance anymore, you couldn't do this and we don't accept people with disabilities. And I tried to sue him for a long time and got the wrong lawyers and now the statute of limitations is up. Um, the court of public opinion will take care of him in my book, but it was just a really hard time. People with like perfect bodies, whatever that is, don't come and visit the kid with a disability in the hospital as a way of, of being accepting to them. Mm -hmm. And when I sat in that hospital bed and I looked around at who I was surrounding myself with, and when they did come in, it was very torturous and, and really mean things were said. Um, <clears throat> and then when I started getting on the news, then they just rallied all around me and wanted to promote their business. And mm -hmm. so if you see some of the clips, of course it looks like everything's fine, but I was- Be the, a, be the friend. Yeah, I was yeah. a mess. I was a real mess and it was incredibly damaging to me. And I don't, I think this is the first time I've ever talked about it on camera. Um, and it was awful. And so when, after that, I thought I need to surround myself with some real people, like some real people as opposed to the fake spray tan ones that, mm -hmm. that are mostly in it for looks. And, um, and so I, I tried to do that. And then when I was hit by that car and I ended up in the hospital again and people started to come see me, I thought, this is what it means to cultivate good friendships. These and are my people. These are my people. And it was just a completely different way to recover mentally and physically. And while I, while I did go dark and twisty after being hit by that car, as anyone would, um, I think I was only able to do that because I was surrounded by the right people. I didn't do that in 2013. I just kept going because I felt like that's what you do. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I, I had the safe space to lose my mind that I, that I could do that and then recover in a more healthy way. Isn't it kind of funny how that happens, right? Like yeah. it, it would make more sense yeah. to do it the opposite way. Right, like if you're like, surrounded by the wrong people, you yeah. would go, yeah, right. but it's but not it's, that because mm -hmm. you have people around you being like, you're fine, yeah. you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Yeah. Just, just come back to work, you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had didn't. a girlfriend text me last night saying, feel the feels. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. I was like, that's. Feel the feels. Yeah. It's I was okay like, that's to not be okay. Yeah. That's a friend. Yeah. Feel the feels. The friend that says, you know, hey, I hear your options. I always, people always ask me, and I've done a TED talk on this, that like what to say when your friend is in the hospital. Because mm. we'll all get the call that your mother, brother, sister, or lover is there and they need you to go there. And as you're in the car, or in the Uber on your way, you're thinking, this is how I'm going to make this better. Right? How I'm going to fix it. How I'm going to fix it. Mm. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to bring them flowers and I'm going to talk about this one time. And I, maybe I'll talk about Adrian who's walking again. So I'm not going to let them. That happens a lot. When I visit people in hospitals, the parents mm -hmm. are like, see, she's all better. And yeah. I'm like, no, we're, we're going to deal yeah. with what's in the moment now. We're, I'm going to meet them where they yeah, are. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. meet them where they are. You know, we're going to send texts every day that says, yeah, this stinking sucks. Yeah. This is awful. This is awful. Because it is. And then and that's it. No, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. that's it. It's awful. And I am yeah. so sorry you're having to go through it. Hmm. And not, not everything happens for a reason. There's no reason why kids get shot in classrooms and little kids lose their lives to terrorist attacks. Hmm. And, and 
it gets to be just really awful. Mm -hmm. And it can be awful because unless it's awful, there's no way to get better. Mm. Yeah. So I love that. So thank you to Adrian's community <laughs> yes, <laughs> for, for being there I and for making I did it. A, I asked the museum, I said, can I have just a room off to the side? I don't want to be like the person that needs a green room. I'm not that person. Um, but just like a room off to the side, I'm going to have champagne and just toast my friends because I just have to say thank you. Um, and, and so thanks to my friends that let me be me and, and yeah. feel the feels like your friend said, mm -hmm. it's so important. So we're wrapping up here and I, I do, you mentioned earlier. Yes. You have a book. You're working on a I'm book. working on a book. Yes. And all my us. free time, Hannah. Yeah. Cause you have so much of it. <laughs> in all my free time. Yes. Um, tell us kind of like top level what we can expect with the book. Yeah. So I, I've wanted to write one for a while and, and I should, I should have been like everyone else who wrote it during COVID when we all slowed down <laughs> and I, I was not that person. Mm -mm. Um, I learned to cook and bake bread like the rest of everyone. Hey, those are important skills They are. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm working on the book. So there, um, a lot of people ask, you know, what made you get up off the sidewalk? And I, mm -hmm. I didn't really get up. I sort of hobbled around. But um, what makes you keep going? What makes you, what gives you that resilience? Mm -hmm. uh, and I've only started, I'd, I've only done this in one other interview. I've started to finally admit that that was a white lie about what I've used as my answer um, purposely and not in any way harm, trying to harm the reporters that are asking right. me. Uh, but I knew what I wanted to say needed to be in a book. Um, I was adopted, and some people know that, some people don't. That's no secret. Um, but my birth mother was also killed on a sidewalk um, by a monster. And when I went down on that sidewalk, um, I knew uh, I couldn't go like her. And I wasn't going to. And so that's what made me roll over and... Um, and start to move around. And, and the off-duty doctor, whose name chooses to not use his name in, in interviews, and I deeply respect that, um, the off-duty doctor that testified in the trial, they were trying to figure out how many people would have lived or died if it hadn't happened near so many people that were willing to help. And in that part of the trial, um, the off-duty doctor had testified that I would have died within probably 30 to 40 seconds had he not seen me moving. He passed right by me thinking I was not alive because of the amount of blood that I'd lost. Wow. And um, when he saw me moving, he came back and grabbed me. Um, and so I definitely would have passed if it weren't for him, but I would have passed if it weren't for my birth mom, who like immediately clicked into my head. And I was like, I'm not going down. So I tell her story. Mm -hmm. um, and I rally against uh, a lot of the narrative about serial killer movies and television shows and, mm -hmm. and true crime. So that's sort of the next chapter of all of that. I haven't said any of that in an interview yet, but, um, but I'm tired of that story not being told mm -hmm. and I am ready for that story to be told and her story uh, to change that narrative of the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and I think it's so important that it, it's coming at a time that you're ready to share it. Yeah. Um, and you know, talking yeah. about the timing of everything and just the way of processing and things like that too, just. Yeah, I needed to process a lot of that. I knew in, in early interviews um, that if I had talked about that, it would have been too soon. And mm -hmm. I, I knew, I mean, I'd talked about it. I'd, I tried to have a book published about it when I was like 20, uh, which is silly. Um, but I, I knew that I needed time to, to sit with it and, and to take on the court of public opinion about it mm -hmm. um, is a different way. But I now believe that you can tell your story and people can absorb that however they want, mm. right? I can only tell the truth. Yeah. And then as I know with conspiracy theorists and everything, they're gonna say what they're gonna say and I'm still gonna live my best life with my lockbox and great interviewers and people like Daniel with IMAX who take good care of you and tell your story right and, and let you have your voice. So um, I think I'm ready to tell that and let that 
get out into the world and have it be received however it is and it doesn't affect the way I love her or how people see me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll be excited for, for when you. that comes out. Thank you very um, much. My final question, I ask everyone, and I know we're almost out of time, um, but on your tough I'm a rambler, days, sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I could keep You're going. You're easy to talk to, that's why. <laughs> um, tough days. Yeah. Do you lean on a mantra? Is there something that gets you through? Yeah. I think what will get you to the finish line is nothing compared to what got you to the start. Mm. So when you have something that's ahead of you, whether that's 26.2 miles or a book or a big something you're working on or a challenge, um, maybe that challenge that day is to get out of bed. Um, maybe that challenge is to walk again. Um, what will get you to that finish line is nothing compared to what got you to the start. Because so often we think at, um, of all this, the stuff we have ahead of us instead of thinking everything that we've already done. Like I've already learned to dance, learned to walk, learned to navigate a New England winter, mm -hmm. um, learned to try and love this body now the way it is. Um, and, and so I, I think of everything I've already done um, to get me to the next step. Amazing. Amazing. Adrian, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much and for having me, Hannah. You're so wonderful to, to talk with. Thank, thank you. you. We're excited for the next, the next chapter for thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks. What got you to the finish line is nothing compared to what got you to the start. Let that sink in. You guys, how amazing is Adrian? I think there is so much to take away from this conversation. I know I did. And every time I listen to it, I learn something new. If you're in the Boston area, you guys can check out the Heart of New England in IMAX at the Museum of Science. You can also follow along with Adrian on social at Adrian Hazlitt for updates on her latest projects and upcoming book. We'll all have our eyes peeled for that. And remember, stay locked in on all things on her mark by following MBCS Boston. And I'm over at underscore Hannah dot Donnelly. And do us a favor. If you guys are loving these conversations as much as we are, make sure you're downloading the episodes, rate and review them, share them with a friend, post on social, anything to spread the word. We are so appreciative, you guys. All right. That does it for me today. I'll catch you guys next time.